Good evening. Tonight we begin with a story about make-believe adventure and real-life violence, and what some critics fear is a connection between the two in a game called Dungeons and Dragons. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cinema Cataclysm. Tonight, we are discussing Dark Dungeons from 2014. And what a dark and scary night it is. It's Halloween. All Hallows Eve. It's Satan's birthday. <laughs> According to Jack Chick himself. Yes. And no one else. And no one else. I'd never heard of that. Nope. Never heard of it outside of Jack Chick. So much to talk about today. But yes, we're primarily here to talk about the 20. 20- 14 movie Dark Dungeons. You sounded confused about that, but that is what we're talking about Well, today. I looked out at my phone because I, I told you, oh, I've got the movie on my phone's hard drive. And then I looked and I'm like, oh, no, I don't. So I'm actually <laughs> downloading it from Google Drive gotcha. as we're talking because I wanted to have it so we can pull it up. Today is a very, you know, last cinema cataclysm that we did here on the Sadie Hawkins pod feed was Deathbed, The Bed That Eats. And that was almost two years ago. That was probably over two years ago. Oh, wow. That was episode... I didn't realize it was that long ago. It was episode 69. (laughs) It was our April Fool's episode. It was our late April Fool's episode because uh, just to go back to that old chestnut, (laughs) I had tweeted years ago now, in the first year of this podcast, I had tweeted... Should we just do the movie Deathbed, The Bed That Eats from 1977 instead of doing the Reliant K song, Deathbed? Danny. Way to be professional. Sorry. And Brady, our own Brady, top contributor to our Patreon, he wasn't yet. He said, yes, please do this. I'll give you extra money on Patreon. And we were like, oh, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, of course. And then he did it. And then he did. So we had to do it. We were going to do it for April Fool's of, I guess it was 2020 now. But at the time, then COVID hit. And like April Fool's actually got canceled. (laughs) So everyone was not doing April Fool's in 2020. Including we didn't feel like it was appropriate to do it either. So then I decided, well, it'll be hilarious to do it in episode 69. So then that meant we had to do the real... Did you think that would be hilarious? (laughs) I I at least thought it would be noise. Oh, wow. Then episode 70, we did our real deathbed episode with all the guests and not you. More recently, just a couple weeks ago, we did our official deathbed episode with you there. And now it's Halloween. And we thought it's been... Two years, over two years, over two years since we last did a Cinema Cataclysm side episode here on our Relying Gay podcast. <laughs> so what scary, what other scary movies share a title with a Relying K song? There might be ones. There's The Ring, which made me think of mood rings. But You're telling me there's not a Reliant K song called Dark Dungeons? Reliant K, <laughs> if there's not a song called Dark Dungeons on the new album. Right. <laughs> So we picked something else. Also, like last time we did Cinema Cataclysm here on the Sadie Hawkins pod feed, 
we like kept we tried to keep a straight face the whole time and like not say this is our Reliant K podcast, but I'm not I'm not doing that this time. You know what you're listening to. You know to. what you're listening to. You know how we are. <laughs> so this is what you walked into. <laughs> so instead we're doing Dark Dungeons, which is a movie that Jessica and I have loved for a while. And it has these sort of it has these themes that we've been talking about more recent or let's face it, that I've been forcing upon the podcast more recently <laughs> about like what does it mean to be Christian media? So I'll get to labor that point at you again in this episode. But we can also talk about things that you love to talk about, like role playing games. Heck yes. <laughs> and thinly veiled gay themes for female characters in movies. <laughs> So there's a there's Accurate. a there's a smorgasbord of <laughs> themes we get to talk about here. Unlike when we talked about the movie Deathbed, the bed that eats, there's a lot going on this week. Yeah. So this so, this movie is based off of a chick track. Right. Which, Danny, do you want to talk about what chick tracks are? Because I was not at all familiar with them until I met you. Much like many other things in Christian culture. So let me go to his Wikipedia real quick. Jack Thomas Chick, born 1924, died 2016, was an American cartoonist and publisher, best known for his fundamentalist Christian chick tracks. He expressed his perspective on a variety of issues through sequential art morality plays. So basically, if you have ever seen a small Christian comic book that about the size of a comic strip... And they usually have these solid colored covers with the title in it. And in a small image depicting what you're basically going to see thematically inside on the left uh, third of the cover. That's a chick tract. I actually don't know what the word tract comes from. But, you know, a tract is a brochure that you hand out to people so they can learn about a religion. Like, tracts are obviously big in the Christian faith, but I would assume that tracts are used for all kinds of different causes and religions and stuff. But chick tracts have become very infamous because of their hardline, fundamentalist, very right-leaning points of view on a lot of topics. Whereas, like, some tracks you hand out are simply like, you should get saved, and here's why. Or, you know, fire and brimstone ones. You're going to go to hell, and everyone's going to hell, and here's why everyone's going to hell, and you should be saved. Well, Jack Chick would write these comic books, and they became hugely popular. And he would hit so many topics he would hit, he would, he hated Catholics. There were so many things about how Catholics are basically the root of all evils in the world. There was a number of Islamophobic ones. I don't know. I'm sure there are anti-Semitic ones like buried in the Chick Track bibliography, but I don't know that there's any overtly anti-Jewish ones, but there were just a lot of like attacks on other cultures that he saw as the enemy to Christianity and then attacking topics that like you can almost just assume would be counter to the Christian faith. In the in this case, like, you know, satanic panic. We looked at one about how Halloween is evil. And I'm sure there's tons of ones about abortion. And uh, there's tons of, like, anti-gay ones. He drew... Let me see if it says in here how many were produced. Because it was in, like, the hundreds of these comic books. Dude, and I thought they were funny and kitsch. And I just thought they were depressing. Well, they are. <laughs> 
And my, so I guess we'll start with my history of being aware of the existence of chick tracks. And I wasn't aware of them as kind of having a cult around them, sort of a cult for like the kitschiness, sort of the, uh, the camp value found in them, both within and outside of the Christian communities. So I would often see these chick tracks just at different churches that I would attend or sort of different Christian events. I never saw them at a Christian rock concert. No, no Reliant K shows, not even a Supertone show would you see these. But I would look at them and I'd be like, oh, these are ridiculous. These are way over the top trying to scare you on topics. I feel like the Christian faith had not been totally, American Christian fundamentalism had not been totally pushed to the point that we are now i felt like things at that time there was like the group of christians who were that far to the right and there was like other christians who were more laid back so like there was a group of us in my christian high school who saw some chick tracks once at lunch like they were kicking around probably from the church that you know also occupied our school and a group of kids at my Christian high school started reading through these chick tracks, laughing at them. And a number of those kids were way more, you know, staunchly Christian than I was. So mm-hmm. I just, I'm just saying that to show this baseline of like how uh, incredibly hardline and fundamentalist Jack Chick's comic, Christian comic books were. Like even some of the most devout Christians would often see them as way too far to the right. But then I think that they would also see them as sort of like a means to an end. Like, you know, the less hardline ones probably they were seen as like, you know, serving a purpose of getting people the message out there and evangelizing and getting people to understand these things. But then outside of the Christian faith, there were also tons of people who became fans of Jack Chick because he is or was he was a very good artist like his messages were often screwed up like horribly screwed up and like his the 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 method in which he wanted to bring people to christ and his version of what he what he felt christ's care and love was for the people of the world was very very hard to the right but um i think that he was still like an incredibly gifted artist and like if he had been an ec comics like if he had drawn classic Tales from the Crypt, some of his Tales from the Crypt, like if he had that same energy put into horror comics, <laughs> these are essentially yeah. Christian horror comics. <laughs> yes. If he had put that same energy into EC comics, classic horror, they they probably would have been regarded as some of the best Tales from the Crypt comics of all time. So that's my knowledge of Jack Chick. And at some point, before I even became as liberal Christian or as progressive Christian or as as some people out there have assumed I am as not Christian, but I am Christian. I believe in Christ. But is to the point that I'm at now, long before I was to the point where I am now, I still had heard that Jack Tricks, Jack Chick's comics did more damage than good. There were people who I saw as very devout who who felt that the um, Jack Chick's worst comics did more to plant seeds of you know seeds of weeds than actual seeds of flower like they 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 saw those tracks as that so christian pastors and stuff that i trusted they said like yeah if you see a jack chick program out and like you can like maybe throw them away i heard that from pastors who (laughs) i understood as much more devout much more in the faith than i am or i ever have fully been so one time i was at a denny's with my mom (sighs) 
And I went in the bathroom and some like devout Christian had left some chick tracks on like the little ledge under the mirror. And I was like, oh, and I found them. I took them. I ripped them up and I threw them away. Now what I should have done was kept them (laughs) because there's a Jack trick cult out there that loves the camp value of them. People Mm. who, and this is something you will have to get into, but people who see these incredibly hardline comics as something not just to laugh at, but almost admire in his, like his devotion and using his talents so sharply to these beliefs. So that's my knowledge of Jack Check. Yeah, so what we're talking about today is his comic on Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. It's called Dark Dungeons. And for those of you who don't know, Dungeons and Dragons is a tabletop fantasy role-playing game created by Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson back in 1974. All you need is a pencil and paper and some dice and your imagination. Now you can get the books and you can get the supplements and the maps and the minis, but at the heart of it, all you really need is your mind. And it is a great way to, to express yourself. Come as you are. Release. Yeah. And release (laughs) your creativity. It's, it's a great thing. It helps with like shyness and things like that. And, you know, really helps, you know, sort of, you know, more introverted kids sort of get out there and socialize and things like that. It's a really fun game that creates a great sense of community and this track is talking about the satanic panic of it all and which i think he had a number of satanic panic tr- oh of comics, course especially because w- yeah, yeah he he did a lot in the 80s and dnd's place in the satanic cra- panic craze of the 80s is is just from confused and fearful adults, adults that don't realize that playing a game and using your imagination as a fighter or a magic user or a thief was no different than when they were young and playing, unfortunately, cowboys and Indians. Like, there's no difference. But for some reason, the addition of, like, dice and a more right. structured story and the word magic really throws them off. Right. And you get, you know, you're in the era of the serial killer, or you're just coming out of, like, the heyday of it all. And so there's an influx of the news media, and suddenly there's TV news nationwide, and and news multiple times a day, instead of just newspapers. So you get the people who, like, run the news, like, catching on to these crazes, and then just putting it out to the masses, and really, like, getting this fear out there. And trying to find something to blame for the problems in the world. Yeah. You know I mean, especially as the news media, we're not even talking about full 24-hour news by that point, because cable's not even a big thing yet, but as the news is starting to, like, happen all the time, You still have your, like, news, your nightly news and your yeah. morning news, and you're still, you're getting news yeah. put put in your in your living room. Right, and, 20, and CNN, I didn't look this up, but CNN comes around by the 80s, and Satanic Panic definitely leads into the 80s, and they're yeah they want we always want something to blame we always want something to blame and so it was really easy to blame something like dungeons and dragons and i'd say also like yeah dungeons and dragons oh i guess i should talk about my history with dungeons and dragons because you have a much more complex one i had no interest in dungeons and dragons when i was a kid (laughs) but because my mom was a scared christian mother in the 80s she saw lots of reports about how evil dungeons and dragons is and she basically started grilling me on like are you doing the dungeons and dragons don't do the dungeons and dragons like i remember this i was like i don't know what that is and i definitely don't have any friends who know what it is and none of my friends were christian i didn't have like christian friends like when i was a kid i didn't get christian friends until i was like in high school 
going to those Christian schools. So it's like, yeah, I didn't have Dungeons and Dragons friends like that. I was interested in video games, which also has some similar elements. But my mom was like, yeah, Dungeons and Dragons is evil. Don't ever play it. So I did have that like prejudice put in my head. But at the same time, I lived my life and I noticed that like, there were no evil Dungeons and Dragons people just <laughs> milling about, like, destroying right. the world. I never walked <laughs> to school and found, like, a goat head cut Good on the Lord. ground and a tree covered in a pentagram. Like, what they would try to pretend was happening all over suburban America in the say, 80s. say, like, Ilsa the elf was here. <laughs> right. <laughs> With a dagger through the note. <laughs> so while my mom might have been scared by those reports at the time and mentioned it to me and I remembered it, I didn't have a practical way in which to, like, show that fear or, like, see a Dungeons & Dragons friend in my real life and be like, oh, I don't know what you're doing. This is scary. So by the time I met you and I learned you like Dungeons & Dragons, I'm like, oh, cool. Because also by the time I met you, I was in my 20s, and I'm like, I'm not a child anymore <laughs> believing everything. Like, it took me longer to get rid of the prejudices that some Christian communities I've been a part of had instilled in me about homosexuality and LGBTQ than it did for Dungeons & Dragons. Like, there was just no practical... Plus, I loved fantasy. What was really funny is my mom loved J.R.R. Tolkien. She loved Lord of the Rings. Oh, Jack Trick wants, Chick wants you to get rid of those. Right, you got me saying Trick instead of Chick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but my mom was a big Tolkien fan, and she used to tell me about how she would go out into the woods and play Lord of the Rings when she was a kid. So I got into Lord of the Rings as well because I love science fiction and fantasy as well. My mom was a big part of my learning to love science fiction and fantasy. Uh, you know, in there, there is like somewhat of a gap between just enjoying fantasy and science fiction stories to actual. Dungeons and Dragons, which we might get into, but it's like, it is a whole nother way of thinking and interacting with story and creativity, Dungeons and Dragons is. So my mom never got into that form of it. Like, but I was like, you know, you already love fantasy. Like, why is this so much? Why are dragons and things? And we've told that story about how I wanted to be a vampire for Halloween one year. And my mom <laughs> cried. She still gave me the costume, but she cried because her, her son's little soul had been taken over by the Draculas. <laughs> So I had never experienced Dungeons and Dragons until I met you. But like, yeah, at the same time, I kind of get this idea that like there are maybe elements in Dungeons and Dragons. There, there can't you can use elements in Dungeons and Dragons which skew closer to the real ephemera, the real like ideas of actual witchcraft, of real life practiced witchcraft, of real life. Be uh, beliefs about satanism and stuff like that but that that's not a real part of it like it can just be it could be dungeons and dragons there's no dungeons and dragons in the satanic scriptures there's no like there's no how do you know did you read <laughs> i've them? never read them you know what i don't really know <laughs> but there can be like you can use like actual like real life witchcraft spell language in a dungeon and dragons if you want to i know like uh, Baphomet, like the goat depiction of Satan, there are creatures sometimes in some Dungeons and Dragons manuals with that. So if like you're really sensitive to those iconographies of Satanism, th then you see that in Dun Dungeons and Dragons. Well, that's going to feed your preconceived concepts. But what you have to realize is Dungeons and Dragons is a huge, is a huge, vast concept of a game. 
and you don't have to use that stuff. It's like heavy metal. Like there are heavy metal bands that there are heavy metal bands that are full on like heavy. There are black metal bands that are full on like Nazis, and there's like bands that actually kind of do believe, whether they're atheist Satanists who don't believe in any supernatural concept, or they somehow like are actually interested in real satanic things or whatever. It's like, but then there's other metal bands that are just like guys. Like, just, like, regular guys who like to play music. Like, any time when I was a kid growing up in the 80s and Metallica was presented to me as, like, a real evil band. And then you realize that really they're just schlubs. Like, the guys in Metallica are schlubs. Like, they're not that... They're just regular people. They don't actually believe in all that crazy stuff. Like, there are other metal bands that really do. So, you know... Those are my thoughts on that. I don't know. It isn't even worth talking about. I want to talk about this movie. But yeah, you have more. I'm excited I, to talk about it. First, I want to hear more about your experience with role playing games and Dungeons <laughs> and Dragons. Uh, so, I think I've maybe mentioned it once before on the podcast, but I discovered Dungeons and Dragons through the TV show Freaks and Geeks, which was my absolute favorite show. I watched it on like Fox Family when it was in syndication around the time it had been airing live. Um, And the very last episode of the show ever is called Discos and Dragons, and the geeks play Dungeons and Dragons in the episode. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. And it wouldn't be a few more years until I found other people who also had an interest in that that I could play with. So I was like, oh, this is really neat. And I wanted to go out and get the stuff, but it was like, I don't really have anyone to play with. And finally, I met uh, some other kids at school and... Because we talked about it before, both Danny and I went to small private schools. We were all together. And so I would hang out after school with the 13-year-old boys to play Dungeons and Dragons. (laughs) And I was the, like, I think by the time I finally got to play, I was, like, 17. Like, 16 or 17-year-old girl. You were the token (laughs) girl in the Spielberg movie. You like the Spielberg kids on bike eighties movie. Yeah. You were the token girl yeah. in all those stories. I'm the slightly older girl who would like <laughs> play with the dorky thirteen year old boys. So then I went out and I got all the stuff. And it does almost seem like a surprise that my mom would go out and get the stuff, but she was an educator herself, and I had an older cousin who played. And I think that she just knew like. He was a nice kid. You know, my cousin's a nice kid. He's whatever. He's a cop now. Um, And I think she just kind of knew that it was just fun and goofy and whatever. And so she's like, yeah, I'll go out. So she got me, you know, she got me the player's handbook. It was 3.5. That's what I how I learned to play. Now, when I play, I play fifth edition. Um, But yeah, so she got out, went out, got me the stuff, got me the monster manual, got me the DM handbook. And I would have a lot of fun like playing a- after school with with the other kids, and, and then you were hooked on it forever. No, that and I you were learning real witchcraft. <laughs> I actually, I don't play as like any of the magic classes really very often, if ever. My friend, because the character first- you play has to have a class of what they are in right. the world. Uh, my first character was Rogue the Rogue. I was really into uh, X Men at the time. <laughs> 
because <laughs> the movies had recently come out and uh-huh. definitely you know what teenage misunderstood teenage girl does not see herself in rogue and so yeah my character was rogue the rogue and she was a rogue or a thief if you're going back to like the jack chick days of writing these comics uh and like first edition and advanced dungeons and dragons yeah, and so I've played a, a few different characters since then. It's funny, though, because one of the things is they're like, you know, the evils of this comes from when you can't separate fiction from reality. And what's funny is that right before my 18th birthday, I was like, okay, it's weird that I play with these 13-year-old boys who are all just about to turn, like, 14. I'm this like, is inappropriate. This is the kind of stuff that happens when you get into Dungeons no! and Dragons. And I'm like, plus, I had a lot of, I did dual enrollment, so I was taking college courses at the same time. I had a ton of after-school activities, and it really was just, like, it didn't necessarily fit in my schedule anymore, and I did feel kind of weird hitting 18 and still playing with these younger kids <laughs> after school. So I was like, all right, so I wrote a whole adventure where my character even though I was DMing that session, my character was going to just move on. She didn't die or anything. She just was like, I I don't remember the specifics of it. I don't remember if she was royalty or if she just found a prince and married into royalty, but she was going to go off and run a kingdom, basically. And one of the guys, his character was so distraught that his character killed himself. (gasps) This is what happens. (laughs) I know. This is what Jack Chick warns about. The kid in real life didn't do that. He was just really bummed that I was leaving the group. But I was, and the group sadly kind of dissolved shortly after I left, but I felt really bad. But I was like. (laughs) That's so sweet and sad and cute. All of the members are still fine as far as I know. Do you follow them on Facebook? Well, I don't have Facebook anymore. So I did. I used to. And they seemed fine as of last time I had Facebook. We'll talk but I was like, oh no, your character should totally go on. Like, she's fine. She's just off doing her own, her own sort of settled down adventures. I think it was something like she had been like, she had gone out and was rebelling against her family or something, as you do in the fantasy roleplay setting. And, uh, see, that's these games also tell you to rebel against family, which is against the Bible. <laughs> it was like, I think her, her dad maybe passed away or something. So it was her time to take over the throne. So she had to go home. So she had a reason and she could go out if she really wanted to an adventure again in the future but she was time for her to settle down and so she did so were you there when the kid rolled to die and was like i want to die now or did he do that he he just chose to do it and and then i was like wait now you have to roll for i guess slitting your throat i don't know like it was (laughs) this is everything jack chick warned about (laughs) he didn't actually do it i know because we'll talk about we'll talk more about the story of the actual comic and how it relates to the movie but that's so funny and sweet and sad and then i picked it up again a few years ago i went many years not playing it because of not knowing anyone who would be interested in playing it. and then then, jessica tried to show me how to play and we started playing the game together and i was into it for a little bit but my brain doesn't connect to this format of storytelling very well it takes a lot of attention like I have a lot, I have creativity, but it takes a certain type of attention. You can't be a passive participant. It's not even like video games. It's really not like anything. It's just a game, and but it's not it's really, like any but other. You form have to of game. be willing to be really immersed in the setting, right. and I think that's part of what my mom was like. Yes, absolutely, because I was very, I was ADHD and very creative, and she's like, fantastic. If this can be an outlet for that, <laughs> and like you don't bother me for a little while, she probably thought it was. And great. you don't go down. 
down into the steam tunnels. Oh my gosh, we will talk about, about the, the steam, steam tunnels. tunnels. So do you want to jump in and start talking about... So let's talk about the movie yeah. real quick, just to get the baseline on the real life backstory of this movie. So it was released in 2014. I watched the real behind the scenes documentary, which I'll explain what that means later. But I watched the, I, you know, I bought this on Vimeo. This used to be on Premiere. Uh, sorry. Yeah. This used to be on Prime, on Amazon Prime years ago when we first watched it. It's not there anymore. I went ahead and bought it on Vimeo. Uh, but you can see the whole thing free on YouTube in parts on the official YouTube channel for the production company, which is called Zombie Orpheus Entertainment. So and right there, you know this is satire. Let's just let's just take a second to before we get any much further into discussing this movie. It's called Zombie Orpheus <laughs> Entertainment. It's not called Christ Church of Sarasota <laughs> Salvation Ministry Cinema. It's called Zombie Orpheus Entertainment. This is not Salvation Productions or anything else of the like. This is tongue-in-cheek. And I also have to take a sidebar and just mention really quick. Well, we haven't even set up that it's a satire. I'll mention them in a minute. So this was an idea for the producer J.R. Rawls. R-A-L-L-S. He had had this idea for doing an adaptation of the Dark Dungeons comic for a long time. For years, I watched the documentary and he explained it there. It's also on the Wikipedia. Uh, he won a small amount of money in the lottery one day. Not a, not a ton, but enough to get started. And he went ahead yeah. and contacted the... Ja- and he, he'd already been working in production because Zombie Orpheus had done like other fantasy-based uh, episodic stuff on YouTube previously. He goes ahead and he contacts the Jack Trick company and jack chick is still alive at the time and he asks him if he can make a movie of dark dungeons and jack chick says yes and he gives it to him for free which is also a point of contention as we talk about the purpose of this movie whether it's a satire or a real christian ministry it's not it's not an actual christian attack on rpgs but we gotta set this baseline up properly they he goes and he gets the rights from jack chick for free he comes back and he starts production on the movie. It's filmed around Seattle. It's filmed in the University of Washington in a number of their locations there. And when you watch the behind-the-scenes documentary, the producers and the director, including J.R. Rawls, none of them can even wink or hint in their interviews about what they're really doing there. But then they start interviewing all the actors all the below the line crew, they start talking to other people involved in the movie and they're like, Oh yeah, I'd never heard of Jack chick. And then I read the comic and I'm like, Oh, I see what we're doing here. And other people just flat out say, yeah, this, this satire won't work unless we just film it as it is in the comic. So you take a super staunch fundamentalist, hard right Christian comic book and you film it basically exactly as it was kind of intended with very, very light winks. Like barely ever letting anyone see behind the curtain. And it became a satire, a parody of the subject material. And I don't think J.R. Rawls could like ever like admit that or it would have it could have caused them to lose maybe the rights early on until the movie was done and in the can. Right. It could have caused problems for them to get this movie done the way they wanted it to get done. 
nobody in the behind the scenes documentary talks about their faith or their Christian background or the message of the movie. They're all just regular filmmaking people in Seattle making this movie with the exception of what we'll talk about later, the fake documentary. So that's kind of the setup for this movie. And unfortunately this movie has now is beset on all sides by the enemy. A lot of people see this movie and think it's a genuine adaptation meaning like the spirit of which Jack Chick wrote the comic. They think it's a genuine manifestation of the spirit of Jack Chick and his hard right Christian hate against so many aspects of the world. And then, but it's not that. And then on the other side, you get the people who realize it's not that people who are maybe Jack Chick fans. And they're like, Oh, there's one Jack Chick movie and they watch it and they see all the subtle, lesbian undertones in the movie and they start to realize oh this is mocking my beliefs so no so there's this movie was unfortunately kind of set up to be attacked and failed it has a very unfair four point rating on imdb out of 10 it should not have a four point when you look at the actual ratings tons of ones tons of bottom of the barrel reviews and uh it's hilarious though it's a hilarious it's good movie fun. and it did exactly what it wanted to do and it's a lot of fun and now i need to take my sidebar and mention magnified pod on one of their halloween episodes we're talking about jack chick and then it came across their radar that this movie existed right and they but they only looked at the trailer and they're like oh my gosh like this looks like an actual jack chick movie and it was like bumming them out that someone spent the time to make to like propagate jack chick's worldview in a movie which is not the point i completely understand from John and Andrew's point of view or anyone else who maybe only looks on IMDb, only sees the trailer, only sees, knows what Dark Dungeons is and sees that a movie exists and thinks this might actually be more Jack Chick ministry in movie form. But once you've seen the movie, if you still think that this is actual like Christian fundamentalist evangelical filmmakers wanting to push this worldview... I have no sympathy for your mental state if you don't understand that this is a stupendous, fun satire (laughs) of all of the things that we talk about on this podcast on a regular basis. This is mocking the caked-in Christian fear that exists in in American Christians, fundamentalists, and evangelicals. Yeah, so the movie opens... With this like Illuminati type <laughs> setting, and it's you don't actually meet these like Illuminati type characters until further into the track, right? But you know, and, and it's funny because the track opens w- like pretty much it opens like where the movie is like in the third act, pretty right. much. So you have all of this really fun buildup that. That does take lines from the track, and they definitely and a couple incorporate, of images. yeah, and a couple of images, and they incorporate it really well. I think they put all the budget into the Illuminati scenes because <laughs> right. they do look great. I love that they live in this like weird castle, maybe on the <laughs> right. college campus. <laughs> it's kind of like the first little wink on the thing is like they say they live on the college campus, yeah, and they talk about how they have their special operative politicians set up around the world, and they talk about how they're helping to sell witchcraft 
paraphernalia to teens to get them into the dark arts and then one guy says more people this year have decided to be homosexual than ever before (laughs) and then they're like but then they all kind of take a step back and they say well what's most i'm not i'm paraphrasing here but they say what's most important is these girls who have just come to campus (laughs) these main characters who have just arrived and we have to get them into role-playing games so they're their secret society is on the University of Washington's campus. But when you see the establishing shots, it's a big, dark Halloween castle on a mountain. (laughs) (laughs) So these two, like, super, uh, exactly what you think of as, like, girl next door, sweet, basically your Christian character that you came up to (laughs) when we was it forgiven (laughs) one episode where you basically made yourself dressed as a conservative, like tight, you know, your hair all combed back, like those type of like, one of them has ponytails, but they're uh, ponytails, but they're very nice Christian girls arrive on campus and they're like, we're the best of friends. And here we are from, was it Tacoma? Like they picked a really good, like mid of the country. It was Aberdeen. Aberdeen. They're like, yeah, Aberdeen was fun and all, but now here on campus, we're going to save so many souls for Christ. (laughs) And then they go to a, um, like a orientation for pick your curricular activity. And they start with one of those classic, like actual fifties, probably, royalty free videos for like a 50s like life on campus but then they get a new voiceover guy to be yeah. like life on campus can be fun you can learn sports you can learn music the and only then- critique i have for this is that i would love to go back and color correct this for them because oh, okay. all of these like interior exterior shots that are not at the party that comes up later or are in the uh secret society illuminati right. castle like all of them have this like sort of slightly like washed out look to them a lot of like creams and tan hues and i'm like oh you could make that look so cool now like you could totally really work with the aesthetic to to really build it yeah i will say for a movie that i think shot in 2012 or 2013 and premiered in 2014 it still looks really good it looks great it still looks really timeless uh, like this same crew could go today and shoot a show on the CW or something. Uh, visually, it looks better than 90% of my IMDb credits. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then it, you definitely can understand, you see how good it looks when you watch the real behind the scenes documentary and it's shot on an SD like camera and they just set the camera up in the corner of the room sometimes to just catch some action even the testimonials are like framed wrong like it looks like it's shot in 2002 but the movie itself looks like it's shot today so it looks really good for this kind of low budget micro budget like also the documentary the real documentary i gotta keep saying the real documentary we'll talk about that later the real documentary talks about how they're working on a micro budget. And it's also a really good documentary for just kind of getting an understanding, if you don't have it, about how micro budget works. We're very familiar with that, Jessica more so than me, but we're both very familiar with small budget productions where you have a wish list, a wish, a wish list of shots and you have to put your most, your least important shots at the end of the day. Cause if you run out of time, you're never getting the money in time to go back and get those shots. Like you have to get the most important shots for the movie at the beginning of the day or you lose out like that's what's really important about micro budget filming is like you have to have so much preparation going in and the people who made this movie in that documentary it shows that they had a lot of care and concern it also looked like a great set like everyone was enjoying themselves again in the real behind the scenes documentary (laughs) 
they were having a really good time and they all seemed to really enjoy it. So it seemed like a fun atmosphere to be a part of. Yeah. And it looked like they also probably got a lot of their funding from crowdfunding, which is a they very did. difficult thing to do. Although you came into it with a known In 2012. property. In 2012. You came into it, though, with a known property. And I think that yeah. probably really helped them out was that you had people, you know, coming at it from either really wanting to see a straight forward right you know chick track made into a movie and then the other people who were like oh we love this kitsch we think it's funny we want to see this yeah. made into a goofy type thing and i would love to know what their that campaign looked right. like yeah. and how they sold it to maybe try and get both sides of that because in the credits they do list a lot of backers and i think that probably coming at it with a known uh, property of Christian really fundamental, them. yeah, yeah. You have a known Christian fundamentalist property, yeah, and then, but you also want to get both sides. Plus, as I already mentioned, this filmmaking group has made a number of other just straight ahead fantasy projects. Later on in the movie, when one of the characters is totally into RPGs, the poster for one of this production company's previous, <laughs> like, Dungeons & Dragons-inspired YouTube shows is on the wall. Like, that's one of the biggest winks in it. But it's a, it's a you wink, you blink, and you miss it kind of moment. So, yeah, I would love to know. I would just love to know, like, who gave to the Kickstarter thinking, like, oh, this will really help everyone know the evils of role-playing right. games. <laughs> Um, so the girls go to the orientation to figure out what their what their curricular activity is going to be. And there's this really cute moment where in the 50s documentary that they're watching, like with a real film reel, they brought like a real film projector in, into this into the shoot for this uh, scene. <laughs> the announcer goes, maybe you'll make a new lifelong friend. And then the two girls, the two nice Christian girls just kind of look at each other and they smile. And it's like, <laughs> I've already got my best friend. It's so cute. They're so cute together. And I definitely ship these two. <laughs> oh, man, hard same. They also mentioned they're like, at the very end, there's this cutaway joke where they're like, whatever you do, don't go into the right. steam tunnels. And steam tunnels are these weird things that come up a lot. In horror, in, 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 yeah, steam tunnels. I don't understand the concept of steam tunnels. I think this movie does it perfectly, but steam tunnels get mentioned in the urban legends of the evils of role-playing games. Like when you hear like, there was this kid in Canada and he killed there himself. Was. In there, there was a Michigan State University student in the late 70s who played D&D and entered the university steam tunnels in an attempt to commit suicide by inhaling the toxic fumes in them. And that whole story is one of the things that really boosted the popularity of D&D as a whole because that story got picked up really big. And then all these other little stories as well about different kids who happened to play D&D and went off on, you know, different things. And it really, those stories propelled it into the satanic panic movement and brought about this whole misconception of seed tuttles. There's a movie called Mazes and Monsters right. starring Tom Hanks. And they the, go and play yeah. in the steam tunnels. And it's like, that's not even where the steam tunnel thing came from, what the story is behind it. It was unfortunately a student who was unwell and was attempting, attempting to commit suicide by going into a place that he knew was toxic. He wasn't going down there to play the game. No. It all becomes this urban legend that mixes together. But the thing is, like, how many buildings have steam tunnels in the world? I don't think there's that many steam tunnels in America, I understand they probably exist for really big buildings, for big properties that have a lot of buildings. I mean, apparently universities just have these weird 
boiler room pipe buildings just in the bottom of places. We just watched, what was that, Silent Madness? Silent Madness. Oh my gosh, where they spend like half the movie in running the, around the it, steam tunnels the steam of their university and there's a slasher going around <laughs> and I'm like, they're in a house and then they're like, let's go downstairs and there's steam tunnels bigger than the house under a regular house. Sorry, there's sorority house. I'm peeking. Yeah. But steam tunnels became this thing in the 80s. But, like, who's ever seen a steam tunnel? And now they are intrinsically intertwined with the mythology of anti-RPG rhetoric. And it's so strange, because I don't think you ask 200 people, have you ever been in the steam tunnels of a building or a campus? And 200 people will say no. Yeah, like, I didn't even know what steam tunnels were, but, like, before... <laughs> I don't think I, the filmmakers I, that make these movies know what they are. They, I guess they find them to film in. I yeah, guess, but they I don't have toxic chemicals right. and fumes and such in them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, they're like, just stay out of the steam tunnels. And then they leave the orientation... And the cool kids start walking down the hall. And the two girls are like, who's that over there? And, like, the nice Christian boy that they've met in a, the scene earlier, he's like, oh, those are the RPGers. And then it's this, like, slow-mo shot of these, like, cool, kind of dark, kind of goth kids walking in slow motion. It's very it's, Twilight. Yeah. Yeah, it's very <laughs> Twilight, actually. And they're like, and the good boy's like, yeah, we've been trying to get them kicked off campus, but they're just too popular. And right there... <laughs> That's not from the chick tract. That's the mo- that's an invention of the movie. And it's like, yeah, the RPGers are the coolest kids on yeah. campus. Guys, they're not like pimply faced and like awkward and socially like trying to find themselves and like working on themselves. Like, no, they're already the coolest, most badass guy. They're the kids that would beat up the RPGers in yeah. real life. Yeah, so we exactly. are clearly not in the real world. <laughs> So they're closer to the, like the cool metal kids right. than they are the like D and D. But then there's so many like older '80s movies where the metal kids also still got beat up until a point yeah. where the metal kids kind of like made Look themselves tougher. Yeah. Right? Once Danzig came around, and Danzig was like, "I'm a nerd like you, but I can beat up everybody, <laughs> and I actually do love Satan." <laughs> your your parents are right about me. Your mother was right. I'm one of those <laughs> rockers that does love the devil. Um, and I love kitty litter for my cats. <laughs> I get my cats all the best kitty litter. I need these muscles to carry the kitty litter. Uh-huh. That's, that's my Dan Ziggle. Maybe no Dan Ziggle. what make, you're talking about. Maybe Dan Ziggle make more appearances. Oh, no. <laughs> on the podcast. Him and Matt Skiba are going to be the best of friends on this podcast. So then we cut to the girls. We don't even see the scene where they're invited to a to a like a, a kegger, like a party. And the girls go to the the. I always want to say maternity, the paternity, Fratern- the fraternity. fraternity Dan, <laughs> they go to the fraternity house. There's and the like, sororities and the fraternities. <laughs> right. So just they, say frat. <laughs> so they show up at the frat, and they're like, and the good Christian girls are like, I don't know. One of the good Christian girls is like. I don't know about this. Like, we're already going to a party. There might be alcohol and stuff. And again, I'm paraphrasing. But one of them's like, oh, we, if we want to testify and witness, we have to like make friends and socialize. And you're like, oh, yeah, you're right. And it's like, well, if we don't go to this party, we'll just be sitting alone in our dorm tonight by ourselves, just the two of us. That wouldn't be fun. And then she's like, there's she's like, what kind of fun could we have? Just the two of us alone. And the one just looks at her. And the one just kind of goes, uh, yeah, that's like the biggest wink. Like if Jack Chick saw this movie, that's the moment that got his blood boiling. 
that's the only blatant like these this movie is coded as a story about two girls who want to fall in love but like something in society (laughs) is preventing them from getting there uh, so they go into the party. It's a kegger. It's a rager. They get all they They're get like their plastic a cups. Rave like type thing is going And then the 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 cool kid, the lead cool kid who we saw earlier, gets up on the table and he says, "Cut the music!" And they cut the music and it goes. Vroom. It doesn't just stop. It goes Vroom, like they're playing a real record. And he goes, are you having fun? And they're like, yeah. And he's like, are you ready for the main event? And they're like, yeah. And they're like, RPG, RPG. <laughs> and this is a moment in the trailer that uh, Magnified Pod, like, glommed onto. And they had, like, jokes about that for a while. But it's like, they're going, RPG, RPG. And then it's hilarious because this party that was, like, a keg drinking. Oh, there's a really quick shot of what looks like two girls kissing in the party. But it could also be, like, an emo boy and a girl. But it's really fast. And a girl's butt dancing and stuff. All stuff Jack Chick would not have put in his movie. <laughs> um and so they push the whole part, the whole kegger rager party out of the way, and they break out the RPG game, yeah. and they put the all the put- setups. They have three D maps that like those are really expensive. They look like they're like dwarven forge esque. They're like very well made, and yeah, it's it's so funny. Although they never actually roll to do anything. Like you see the right. dice roll and even stuff, caught that this but they time. just they're like, I would like to, you know, uh, stab this guy. They're like, you do it and you're successful. And I'm like, wait, what? How do yeah. you know? <laughs> you know what's funny is the first time we watched this movie together in like 2015. I hadn't played RPG with you yet. I hadn't played Dungeons and Dragons, so I didn't get that. But now I've played it, and I did catch on to those things. Even though the filmmakers who made this do love RPGs, they do love Dungeons and Dragons, they know what they're talking about. That was an artistic direction choice they made in order to push the story along. Yeah, they throw one of the players' minis into the fire, and I was like, damn, (laughs) someone worked really hard on that. Someone spent hours (laughs) painting that because... Most minis come unpainted, and you have to sit there and paint them yourselves. I have a whole little a right. whole little setup with like a magnifying glass and these little arms where like they hold them while I paint them. So, so the girls immediately get pulled into the game, and they're like, "The nice boy said we shouldn't play RPGs." It's like, "Oh well, we can just play it once." And what's funny to me is that like they're two brand new girls. Now we know that the evil cabal of Satanists on campus want these two girls specifically. But even within the even within the ridiculous heightened world of this movie, they're like the two newest girls, and they're immediately sat up at the front of the table with Mistress. What's her name? Mistress Frost. Mistress Frost. So out comes this lady who's like the Van Wilder. She's like, she's like the sexy vampire lady meets uh, Van Wilder because she's the oldest lady on campus. And she's, is she a student? Is she a teacher? No, she's just Mistress Frost. And she hangs out in this fraternity and she helps she's people the DM. play RPG. She's the dungeon she's the master. DM. But she's an evil, like, vampire type she's of She's not a vampire. You're she's just saying sorry. that because she has talking... dark hair and is very seductive. Right. That's what I mean. I don't mean she's a literal vampire. I mean, she has, like, the... She's, she's like, presented like you would also present a vampire. And so she's, like, huh, you know, stuff. <laughs> she says, whatever. I oh, like that oh, they keep... Stuff. <laughs> they keep really close with, like, the original comic retract and, uh, 
with the version of D&D that they would have that that Jack Chick portrays, mm-hmm. which I don't remember which when that tract came out. It was like 84 or 85 okay. or something. They're definitely playing an early edition, probably with the Greyhawk supplement from like the first edition. <laughs> since, I'm so glad you're here. Since the classes seem to be <laughs> thief, magic user, cleric, and fighter. Right. So the two girls immediately get pulled into a game, and all the rest of the party is just watching them play Dungeons and Dragons, which does happen in the real world. Like, Jessica has this YouTube channel. Critical Role. Critical Role that she loves. And they have, like, massive live Dungeons and Dragons games, like, where tickets are... They play for are, four hours, like, They play for week. four... They, it's, a, it's a video podcast-style thing, or, or a streaming show, where they play Dungeons and Dragons, and then they'll go out on tour, and they'll sell tickets. You think you think, you think Blink-182 tickets are expensive? Oh, yeah. Critical Role tickets go are Go see insane. one of the biggest internet Dungeons and Dragons players. Yeah. Their tickets are so expensive. I wanted to take Jessica the last time they were in Los I Angeles. Looked into they were it. so I was like, expensive. I was like, oh, we live in LA. They were going to play at the Ace Theater in LA. So I'm like, oh, cool. We should totally go. And I looked it up. It was like $200 or something. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't right. even just to see them play. Oh, and <laughs> the people behind Critical Role just recently had an animated series based on their years of creations on their streaming show called Vox Machina yeah, on I think it's Amazon Prime. Of, yeah, The Legends of Vox Machina. It's an animated show. So if you've seen that animated animated show Vox Machina on Amazon Prime. That's yeah, the same They've people. got comics out from that same grouping and stuff. They're currently in their third campaign and it's a lot of fun if right. you're if you're into it. So that so this is something that does happen. People do just sit about and watch people play Dungeons and Dragons like it's a sport. It's just funny in this context that this was a kegger party at a frat and now everyone's quieted down to watch some people play Dungeons and Dragons. So they learn how to play Dungeons and Dragons. All the other seasoned vets, like in a in a montage scene, all kind of get cast away and have to pick up their characters and walk away. So we're down now to just Mistress Frost and the main two characters. I can't remember exactly how it goes, but they have a great time. They win. La la la. Then we go on to more They're scenes. They're like the only two survivors. Because right. they kick the people out from the table when they right. when they die. So. so then it goes on to a couple more scenes of them like, you know, being college students and enjoying RPGs and trying to figure all this out. And it quickly escalates into another montage where they're like, <laughs> they have dialogue over the montage. It's like, I don't really need to go to that history test. Oh, uh, well, you know, like, uh, I can't believe I spent all night doing this and that. And Dungeons and Dragons. And then it's clearly like they're about to fail school. And it's getting to a point. Yeah, one of the girls talks about how, like, she's about to flunk out and stuff. But, like, the RPGs are just so important right. in, 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 in her life now. And everything we've explained up to this point is still creation of the filmmakers. This isn't from the comic. So now we get to a point where... And this is where they... And now we're just about to get into one of the first scenes that's actually in the Jack Chick comic. Although they've taken it out of order. The main girl who actually was the least excited, she was kind of the better Christian girl. She was the least, like, enticed by, you know, going to the party. She was the one who didn't have a boyfriend before college. Like, the snore straight lace one, she falls most into her character. And Mistress Frost is like, I think you're ready. I think you're ready to start learning real magic. And this girl's like immediately like, yeah, I'll learn real magic. (laughs) And then she sits down in a circle and like starts doing like Doctor Strange hand motions and CGI like things start flying off of her hands. 
And they're like, you're really ready. And she's so excited. And she introduces her to the cabal of evil dudes. And they're like, we're so excited about how well you're doing. She's not questioning the fact that there's like robed evil guys on campus. And she's this just like, is this where is all we making pick up sense. with the track. Yeah. <laughs> and this is one of the first scenes from the track that happened. Although this scene incidentally comes from the middle of the comic book. They've moved it up here. So now she's actually in the cabal. She's She's been properly acclimated to the evils of RPGs. And she's actually become a real witchcraft practitioner just from playing two games of Dungeons and Dragons or whatever. <laughs> Which And then what happens? Then her other friend, who was the one who was the most excited to like be free and experiment and wasn't really and kind of was showing signs. She's the one who said, I had a boyfriend who, you know... Uh, I spent too much time with back in high school, but now I'm not going to do that in college. He he he. Well, the one who was actually the most experimental since she's been at college, she's the one who's lagging behind now. And she's like, no, I really want to like get better at my character so that we can go on all these quests together and stuff like that. So, so they make a plan. It's like, okay, well you come with me tonight to this advanced campaign and I'm just going to, you're going to come along as my guest and the advanced campaign will help you to level up quickly so they go and they tell mistress frost like she's still level seven but we want her to be here so she'll level up quickly and it's like well it sounds like you two are really ready to l a r p g which is not how you say it in real life it's called larping and also i don't think they're really depicting larping correctly i think they're they're kind of offshooting just kind of on purpose uh, to the purposes of this movie yeah we'll just get into outfits and just like kind of have people come at you right and we i throw ideas of story at you you're fighting this you're well you're supposed to be uh rolling dice but you're not not (laughs) so then throughout the although i don't think you roll dice in larping i don't know i've never larped before but so through the events of this like now they're in suits and they're pretending to live action role play but they're not actually doing it like you really like action roleplay through the events of this the the girl who was more hopeful the girl who was lower level the one who was like you know kind of being more experimental but now she's getting left behind her character dies and this is where this is another scene from the jack chick comic book but slightly askewed and you see how this is also a good example of adaptation in film writing if you want to be a better film Uh, screenwriter and you want to learn more tools for adaptation of source material you should really study this movie and the original comic (laughs) because (laughs) this is literally so now this scene is the first scene in the comic book although it's depicted as a tabletop game not a live action role-playing game the girl's character is killed and she starts crying like she and the actress is amazing who by the way i don't think we'd mention actresses names but the main girl who's just whose character just dies here she looks like a cross between allison brie and um i keep forgetting her name and anne hathaway she looks like anne hathaway and allison brie like had a baby together and she's so looks so sympathetic and so sad that her character has just died and her friend who again was the straight-laced christian who got way deeper into this than she ever thought she would she's like no go away you're dead i can't break character or i'll lose all my weapons and gold <laughs> And so she leaves, and this happens in the Jack Trick comic book, but again, it's there's a tabletop game with a bunch of people, the one character, her character her character's character dies, she cries, and she leaves. There's another really ridiculous and hilarious line in this scene where the one girl says to the other girl, Wait, Marcy, didn't you learn Arabic to convert those Muslims oh, yeah. who were worshipping that moon god? 
Oh my god. Okay, this is like some... Not in the the original track, but man, does it sound like it could be. I don't know this for a fact, but knowing that Jack Chick had a number of, uh, you know, anti- other world religions. Yeah, maybe they pulled source material I'm, from his other tracks. I'm guessing that they took one of his Islamophobic comics and pulled that line about how when, you know... That sounds about right. When, when and again, this is not something we believe. This is something this comic book writer, this hard-right fundamentalist Christian comic book writer would have believed, believed that when Muslim people are worshipping Allah that they're actually worshiping a moon god. So I'm sure this that line really offended a lot of people, but it's you, super you have to understand it from the satire point of view. Yeah. That it's actually like gold. When you think of the fact that the idea that Jack Chick would have written this comic. Yeah. I would have written I wouldn't this movie. laugh at that line if it wasn't just so absurd and clearly you know mocking, mocking. the ideas yeah. that this is a world that Christians think that hard right fundamentalist Christians would believe was real. So the girl dies, her character dies, her fictional character within this world dies, she cries, she leaves. Now in this point in the comic book, this is where Mistress Frost says to the main girl, oh, you've done so well, you even let your best friend die. This is where I'm going to bring you in to teach you real witchcraft magic. So that's where they kind of mix things up a little. Um, But now we're back on track where everything falls in line, both with the movie and the comic book. In the movie... Um, I think a few other things happen, but basically what's going to happen is the girl ends up... She goes back home and she yeah. finds that the friend who had Anne died Hathaway. in the game yeah, ha- uh, committed suicide. Because her own character died. And it's amazing because, again, they, they recreate, but in an updated form, the tract where she leaves a suicide note in brush script font and it is the exact same <laughs> font that Chachik wrote the suicide note in in the comic. I think they handled this moment as well as they could knowing the kind of movie they were making. Like I almost feel like the uh, Islamophobic joke is a little bit more difficult to take if you're out if you don't understand this is a satire. But them knowing that this is a satire of Christian fear of the unknown and knowing that this world that they've created in this movie is not the real world. And that we're depicting what like Christian fundamentalists think the world of RPGing is like, they have to now depict a character dying by suicide. And that's really difficult to do. You don't want to make that funny. So they don't try to make it funny. They It's they, sad. They, the first time I saw it, I was sad. The second time I saw it, when we were re-watching it earlier today, it I was hit sad. You on, yeah. yeah. It, but, and when Jessica saw, because in the movie, she prints out a note from the internet, from her computer, and she prints it out in the exact same font that Jack Chick drew the note in, in the comic book, like Jessica just said. So the girl, so the best friend, the main character, finds the suicide note in she walks in the room, finds her friend hanging, and she finds the suicide note in the printer, and it says something to the effect of, uh, whatever her name, whatever her character's name was, Goldleaf is dead, and it's my fault. <laughs> it was something like that. <laughs> yeah. And this is their, like, Sin City... I think it's Blackleaf or Black something Leaf, like right. that, yeah. And this is one of their Sin City moments, because, like, a movie like Sin City literally took the comic book... Took and panels. Took yeah. panels, but they also treat it like they... Well, the movie Sin City recreates every single panel of the volumes of Sin City that they did. They have to create things in between, but there's not a panel, basically, that they miss. In this case, there's a lot of stuff that they don't create 
image for image. And this is only a 10-page comic book, 10-panel comic book, basically. Because, like, every page is just one whole panel or two. And so there's only a handful of moments that they recreate exactly from the comic book. And it's the suicide note that they create. Because it is... The suicide itself is not something to laugh at. But the the, the way that Jack Chick originally, like, it depicted it is laughable. Because he thinks that this character would do this. And he's warning that... Everyone will do this. This is a lesson. Warning, your children will do this if you let them play RPGs. And that's ridiculous. So they recreate that note like exactly as it was. And they're just showing it on screen how ridiculous this is. So now the girl is like... None of the subject matter is laughable. None of the like offensive lines are laughable except for how awful and offensive they are right that's what where the humor is derived from it's not in the material itself but it is right that's what real satire is like you can't make too many winks when you make a satire the most famous the most infamous example in hollywood of a satire that was completely misunderstood was starship troopers like starship troopers people watch that movie and they're like this is like fascist nazi propaganda and then the reviewers and audiences literally thought that it was like trying to feed Nazi propaganda into our Hollywood movie screens. And it's like, no, Paul Verhoeven lived through that time. He lived through World War II. He knows the evils of Nazism. And so he's kind of, he created a world where what if like the Nazis went into power into the into space age you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and like look how ridiculous this would be but the thing is i'm saying this everyone who studies film knows now that starship troopers is the satire it is that it's satirizing also the way that even star wars depicts fascism like yeah everyone knows the empire is evil but then you have uh, a child killer (laughs) darth vader who slaughtered dozens of children on a lunchbox, right? Like we still look at the Star Wars iconography that is based on fascism and Disney still like puts it in their parks. And that's not satire. That's like losing the actual artistic intent when George Lucas originally made the, you know, the empire like space Nazis. But now we idolize the space Nazis. So here Paul Verhoeven comes around in 1997 and he's like, hey, the, the prequels don't even exist yet. The sequels don't even exist yet. But he's like, hey, those Star Wars movies that you love as kids, here's what they actually, here's what you're actually like idolizing with Darth Vader. And like people didn't get it in 1997. And now it's like this artistic thing where everyone understands the satire. Unfortunately, I think Dungeons and Drag, sorry, Dark Dungeons is left in this thing where it has a smaller audience and it's never going to get that cult around it of people who really understand the satire. Anyway, the good girl, you know, we should have the characters' names. What are their names? Uh, Marcy and Debbie, maybe? Okay. Uh, I don't know what the main girl's name is. I'm pretty sure Marcy is the... Right, Marcy is the friend. Marcy is the Anne Hathaway friend who... (laughs) Died by suicide. And then Debbie is the good girl who became the bad girl who now needs to become the good girl again because her friend has died. Yeah. All the characters just move on from that, by the way. They all just move on from the suicide. And I'm like, is this the same day? Did the roommate even alert the school yet? Like the nice Christian jock shows up like one scene later and is is like, what's wrong? And it's like, well, her roommate (laughs) died like five minutes ago. What do you think is wrong? But that's also not what Debbie says. She says, I'm so in deep with rpgs (laughs) 
So he takes her to church, which does happen in the comic book. And he's like, come with me. The preacher tonight came out of the world of witchcraft. So he knows what you're up against. So they go to the church and they filmed in a real church. And uh, in the real life behind the scenes documentary, you see a, you see a moment in the behind the scenes documentary where like the producer comes up to the crew and he's like, guys, keep uh, your sort of R rated sort of your like kind of keep your comments like conscious because of the place that we're filming in right now. I don't care what you say, but I have to deal with what you say. So try to keep the voices low. So basically, like, they're all, in real life, the makers of Dark Dungeons were joking, making jokes about being in a church. And, like, no, they're like, we got to... probably joking about... The, the content, the content and, all kinds and everything. Of stuff. And they probably only got the location because they were like, no, we're making this Jack Chick movie. Right. And that's probably how they got it. So they're like, no, we need to present as like straight face as possible. And most likely somebody said something. One of the church people overheard and complained. Yeah. But they got the shots they needed in the church. They only had extras of about 20 people in the Jack Chick comic. They show the church is packed with hundreds of people. Full. Yeah. And they more or less recreate the uh, word for word, the pastor's speech about how, you know, all of these fantasy books and fantasy games are windows into the world of the occult and they will grab onto your soul. They welcome demons into your heart, all things that we do not believe are true and are not true. <laughs> and then he, the, the, the best part is with like, gather up all your occult media we are going to have a book burning tonight. And the comic book ends and the movie ends with a book burning, which is one of the most vile things that Christians love to do. It is one of the most hateful symbols, like physically of Christian, like benign hate. Like obviously there's worse examples of Christian hate, like, you know, abortion center bombings and like attacks on homosexuals who are just living their lives and stuff but it's like the classic book burning which is seen as this like symbol of purity like we're burning these things but really when you think about a book burning it's it's fascism it's literal fascism like personified as this sweet wholesome christian activity and that's real evil to me but they're depicting it just matter of fact like we're having this christian book burning and the pastor takes a moment to say which is in the original comic book gather up all your fantasy occult works including those by J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S.S. Lewis because you know C.S. Lewis C.S. Lewis <laughs> J.R.R. Tolkien threw me off C.S.S. Lewis <laughs> I feel like C.S.S. is probably like a computer programming language probably somewhere <laughs> out there like there's it. a Christian programmer whose handle is C.S.S. Lewis um but the thing is like when you get and this is the stuff that I talk about all the time on our Reliant K podcast like th- those lines of Christianity and staunch fundamentalism and media and the way that we like nowadays millennials and post millennials need our media to be kind of vetted for us and a Christian bookstore where, oh, everything sold in this Christian bookstore is only distributed by the Christian book distributors and record distributors. So, you know, it's safe, but you li- you don't know the denomination, the church backgrounds, the actual beliefs, the progressive or fundamentalist viewpoints of any of the Christian tooth and nail goatee records 
any of those record labels, you don't know their actual beliefs, but then you go to what you feel is the Christian bookstore and you feel it is a safe place where everything is going to match your beliefs exactly. You buy a Reliant K record and you take it home and you think, ah, yes, they believe every single thing I was taught to believe in my specific church background, which by the law of averages is not true. Whatever like denomination Reliant K was raised in, the odds are they're not the denomination you were raised in. So they probably don't believe everything about Christianity that you exactly believe. The different the different levels of doctrine are going to be different outside of that core absolute truth of Christ died for your sins. And if you believe in him, you will go to heaven. So on that same forefront, C.S.S. Lewis and J.R.L. Tolkien are seen as Christian fantasy writers, but someone as hard right fundamentalist, as uh, revivalist, as Jack Chick is like, no, 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 no. Those are fake Christians. Just like now we have people with YouTube videos and Twitter accounts saying uh, Switchfoot are fake Christians. Reliant K are fake Christians. Semler is a fake Christian. Just like we have those people out there saying that now, there were people who would say, C.S. Lewis is a fake Christian. C.S. Lewis was like one of the greatest Christian writers of all time. But there are people who considered him too liberal. <laughs> so you got to come burn his books. you got to burn The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe with us tonight. And in this scene, as they filmed it in the movie, you see like Harry Potter books in there. You see C.S. Lewis books in there. And it's funny. And they had to burn real books in real life. But I'm sure they didn't burn like rare copies or something, which I think in a real Christian book burning, like you want to get like a real rare copy. And like this copy will never be owned by anybody else. No, they probably got, you know, penny copies off of eBay and stuff like that. Yeah, and that's they, where they the... throw their Pathfinder books and <laughs> their uh, their character sheets and character <laughs> sketches into the fire. And we didn't mention one other creation of the filmmakers that gets added to the script, which is not in the comic, is that this is all happening because they need one of these two girls to read from the literal Necronomicon, which is right. not in the Jack Trick book, but I'm sure he would have put a Necronomicon in something, some of one of his books. And so the girl who, Marcy... They, who they had, specifically state one of them has to kill themselves and one of them has to then go and read from the necronomicon because plot other way around though because it's marcy who has who can read arabic and so she reads it and then she has to go kill herself so they push her to the suicide they create all this because then an actual cthulhu starts to rise up out of the earth which is not in the jack chick book although i've seen some reviews that didn't understand the satire and they're like yeah the jack chick world where Christians are so fearful they think Cthulhu is real. And I'm like, well, this isn't in the Jack Chick book. This is written by people who aren't fundamentalists, are not evangelical Christians. They're fantasy filmmakers who find the camp and the kitsch in the original source material. And they wanted to add Cthulhu to it, which is a made up, which again is another thing that's like made up. Cthulhu is quite frightening when you get into the actual fiction of it, but it is made up fiction by a very mentally unstable racist man named <laughs> named H.P. Lovecraft. Like, it's really fucked up stuff that, like, was going around in H.P. Lovecraft's head, but it was all fiction. And that kind of shows how the lines get blurred and stuff. Like, a lot of our concepts of Satanism are very modern. So I still, to this day, get a little, like... A little, a little iffy when I see, like, some real, like, satanic-looking images. 
But, like, those images didn't exist in the time of Christ. And, like, H.P. Lovecraft stuff, like, sometimes I'll get a little woozy looking at it. I know a lot of people, like, really think that it's, like, what if Cthulhu is real? What if he's actually a, a messenger of Satan and H.P. Lovecraft was his was his, 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 his uh, prophet or something? It's like, no, it was just a mentally very distraught man who wrote these really wild fictions. Yeah, his character design makes no sense. <laughs> Who's? Cthulhu's. Cthulhu, right. Yeah. If he were a real being, I'm saying. Just, you know, a lot of things that, that don't necessarily need to be or make a lot of sense. Uh, so before we get into the mockumentary right. that was made of the uh, the behind the scenes as opposed to the real behind the scenes, we're going to go ahead and take our break. Uh, but before we do that, I just want to say that if you or someone you know may be struggling with suicidal thoughts, you can call the U.S. National Suicide Prevention Line at 800-273-TALK, which is 8255 at any time, day or night. And you can also text 741-741. Thank you so much for listening to Sadie Hawkins Pod. If you want to join the conversation, please contact us with thoughts on this episode, your corrections, and your Reliant K memories at our voicemail line, 402-95-SADIE, or send an email to sadiehawkinspod at gmail.com. You can also visit our socials. Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok are all at Sadie Hawkins Pod, where you can see the visuals we discuss on the podcast each week. You can also visit sadiehawkinspod.com for easy access to all these links, as well as our merch store for shirts, mugs, and stickers. And on Facebook, search for Sadie Hawkins Group to discuss our show and Reliant K. It's admin by Danny, so honestly, you can probably post almost anything there. We also want to thank our patrons at patreon.com slash sadiehawkinspod, who include Matt, Nick, Bjorn, Emily, Isaac, Kindle, Joshua, Daniel, Jay, Joel, Connor, Michael, Samantha, Jimmy Eat Pod, This Might Be a Podcast, Tucker, and Brady. Join our Patreon now for two monthly bonus episodes. Unlock dozens of existing bonus apps, including K is for Karaoke songs, every chapter of the complex infrastructure known as the Female Mind Book, stickers, guitar picks, and a special Patreon-exclusive shirt when you have donated a lifetime contribution of $60. Whether you join the Patreon or not, we appreciate that you have a lot of choices for podcasts out there in the world, so it's nice that you chose us. Thanks. So one other thing I wanted to mention about the history of this movie is that, you know, we are we consider ourselves bad movie and like wild movie aficionados. I do not consider this a bad movie, but like big fence swinging personal projects that have like really just wild visions like this definitely falls into that. It's a fantastic underrated movie. It is. And it's oh, by the way, it's only 45 minutes long. It's a short film. I love it when we're able to find these movies on our own. You and me are constantly looking through Tubi and Amazon and watching things that, like, if you think this is a bad movie, you have never seen a bad movie. Jessica and I have seen bad movies. Movies where they didn't know how to focus. Movies where they didn't know how to frame a shot. Movies where they didn't even... Where they, you don't even know what's going on. I mean, I rated this movie really highly <laughs> compared to the stuff we usually watch on a weekly basis. When we watched it back around 2015 or 16, I originally gave it a 7. I more, re- I more this week I gave it a 10 because I saw all the ones it got recently. And I'm like, this is BS. Like, it doesn't oh, deserve Oh, that's a good a call you have to go. And yeah, because I have given it a 7 because I do really enjoy it. But I should go back and give it a 10. Sometimes I rate movies. Sometimes I rate bad movies that, like 
are objectively to me, say, a four out of ten. But then I think this movie is good that it exists in the world. This is a person who had a real vision and they went out and they made this bad movie and good for them. And I see how low an IMDb rating it has and I have to give it a ten just to boost them because I believe in that force that they did. I did the same thing with They Came Together. People didn't get that that was like a comedy for some oh, reason, right. even though it starred Paul Rudd and Amy Poehler. <laughs> People, that's a great, well, that's a great example of like, that's, and I'm that, like, that's, this movie's hilarious. And it was rated so poorly at the time that when right. I rated it, I was like, well, I'm giving it a 10 just because I, we need to even out these votes here. Right. That's a full you on. You just don't get it. If you've never seen They Came Together, it's a full on parody wackity schmackity anything can happen parody style movie in the style of airplane and hot shots and stuff like that making fun of rom-coms but going back to that satire thing the marketing was a satire they flat on made the marketing of that movie look like oh it's a rom- it's a regular romantic comedy starring Paul Rudd and, and uh, Amy, Poehler. Amy Poehler and it's called They Came Together which is already a, the tiniest of winks yep. but then you watch the movie and it's a wackety schmackety parody of that style it's a movie movie like scary movie so yeah people obviously got pissed when they realized it was a parody but the straight face satire was the marketing anyway I would love it if I could say we discovered this movie on our own we didn't discover it the way like Magnified Pod discovered it, like by looking, you know, at Jack Chick's IMDb when they were talking about Jack Chick. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about Jack Chick. I ended up finding out about Nor this Nor should movie. anyone. Yeah. I ended no, up... You shouldn't spend any of your time thinking about the person who you're about to say either. That's what I was about to say. <laughs> I thought uh, of this movie through someone I... Through JonTron, the YouTuber JonTron, who himself is a bit of a problem. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm, like, subscribed to a lot of those, like, classic early 2000s problem guys. But some of them aren't... Well, some of them do have, like, actual misconduct things. To John Tron, he's just, like, an a-hole who has, like... Who just has to speak up about things that he doesn't have to speak up about. It's just ridiculous. He just... Whatever. He's a YouTuber. I watched his video on Dark Dungeons. He didn't get it. He literally also thought it was real, or at least he pretended it was. And then at the very end, he threw the slyest little, like, you could say why these people made this and for what actual reason, but the point is blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, no, no, stupid. (laughs) It's it's the opposite of what you're saying. So it was offensive. But I'm still subscribed to JonTron because he's the train wreck that keeps on giving. (laughs) <laughs> the less said about John Tron overall on our on our Reliant K slash bad movie podcast, the better. Yeah. Speaking of train wrecks that keep on giving, I wasn't a huge fan of the mockumentary, which is called Attacking the Darkness. It's longer than the actual movie, and I didn't really think it needed to be. I just felt like it was way too lengthy and too long-winded. And it did have some little, like, humorous antidotes in there, here and there. Yeah, and it explicitly states that it's a parody. They quote Poe's Law. It's, like, a whole thing. It's, like, look, you know, in case you couldn't figure out before, this is, in fact, satire. It's it's definitely, like, they wanted to be, like, waiting for Guffman. I think that's what they were going for. Right. They were going for a Christopher Guest-style movie, probably pretty heavily inspired by the American office and 
more of those recent like fake mockumentary television shows. So the redheaded woman was great. Like the woman who was the the main person for some of it, and then it just really falls off. Toward, and they, like the first act, it, it's a slow going to start. Then it kind of finds its footing, and then it completely falls off again. But this woman was great. She knows exactly who her character is. She's doing a great job executing it. She knows what they're going for, and she's hitting every mark, right. whereas not everyone is necessarily. So what Attacking the Darkness is, as Jessica just said, it's a full-length mockumentary behind the scenes of this movie. And it's clear that legally speaking, on paper, um, J.R. Rawls only had the rights to the actual Jack Chick material for the movie Dark Dungeons. In the real-life behind-the-scenes documentary, there's a moment where somebody's like, oh, man, we should make the Dark Dungeons game in real life and sell them. And J.R. Rawls is like, no, we don't have the rights to, <laughs> to any merchandising, which clearly would be the case because why would Jack Chick want expect to actually make real materials out of this thing that he he believed is actually evil? He just wants to get his message out there that uh, RPGs are evil. So... In real life, they also made this mockumentary while they were shooting the real movie, which is a feat in and of itself. Because to make a fake mockumentary that does have a through line, it does have a story, they drop some threads, it's not a perfect mockumentary, but it pulled off a lot more than I necessarily expected them to pull off. And they had to create a new fake backstory for what this movie was and why it was being made because they couldn't legally mention Jack Chick or the actual Dark Dungeons comic book. So they create this couple, one of them is named <laughs> this couple of like very devout Christian uh, church leaders. They're not pastors themselves, but they're church leaders. The guy's name was Brady, which I thought was perfect for us. Of course. <laughs> Every time they kept calling out to Brady and the thing, I smiled a little bit. But yeah, then there's the wife and she's redheaded and she's like very manic and very on edge all the time. And she's constantly, they're always stopping to pray for the production. There's an amazing moment. There's a lot of really, really good jokes in it. But like you said, the through lines don't pay off overall. And we saw some of the story through lines that they had planned happening before they happened. They go for a lot of the really obvious jokes. And I thought that was really unfortunate. I thought there was a lot of room to there was a lot of wiggle room in there. There were places where they could sort of change things up a little bit and they didn't. And right. I thought it was just unfortunate. Because when you're going to make a satire or a parody of Christianity of modern American Christianity, uh, there's like, there's the obvious way to do it, which happens all the time. And I don't think it's too valuable. And like, I say this as a person who's disenfranchised with Christianity, as it is in this country, but I still believe in Christ. I just don't, it's, I'm just, I'm just comfortable being a lukewarm Christian. I'm more than comfortable being that. I don't actually think I'm a lukewarm Christian. I just like own the label that people would put on me for my position. So I think when you're going to make a satire or a parody of Christianity, like sure there, you can go the South Park way of like just full on attacking it. And like they attack more than just Christianity. I'm just using them as the most famous example. Like you have Cartman being a Christian uh, boy band and he's singing lyrics that are clearly sexual. Like you get it. But the thing is like to the Christians who see that South Park episode or any other Simpsons episode that attacks Christianity or something, you're fueling them. When, when you do a satire or parody of Christianity and you directly attack it and you make it obvious, you're fueling the mindset because Christians 
love persecution. So when you see a parody of Christianity and it's clearly attacking Christianity, it's like, yay, we're being attacked. And now we get to counteract that. And we get to feel like our faith is being validated by the attacks that we're getting. I mean, that's that's all religions and such, because yeah. I had a friend who years ago, uh, she did a study abroad program in England and it was when the Scientology episode of South Park was really big. I've never seen South Park myself, but I think I had a boyfriend once who, like, made me watch four episodes in a row. And I was like, I'm not into this and never watched it again. But she ended up dating a Scientologist for a while. And that was, like, their get. They'd get you on the tube in the London Underground. And they'd be like, oh, watch this episode of South Park. Ha, ha, ha. Well, Isn't this so funny? Joke. We're in on the joke. And they use that to br- – that satire – of it like we understand to bring the them in yeah but i think to a lot of american fundamentalists and evangelical christians like when you're attacked through the media you don't see it like oh we're in on the joke you really get to be like no you're attacking us because you're afraid of the truth the way more effective satire of christianity if you really want to like poke holes in things and really point out what's wrong is just to do it just portray it on camera because this this fake document this fake documentary this mockumentary opens with this quote that says it's impossible to parody extremism because it is already a parody and then it and underneath it it says the opposite of that it's like it's impossible i can't remember i should actually look up the real quote yeah it's pose law if you google that which is like an internet culture satire thing pose law Every parody of extreme views can be mistaken by some readers for a sincere expression of the views being parodied. I remember there was, and maybe this wasn't like the best idea that the lady had anyway, but there was a thing where after the uh, Japanese earthquake in, what was it, 2012 or something, this lady on YouTube, this girl on YouTube who hated Christian, who hated Christians did a thing where she was pretending to be Christian. And she's like, I am so glad that God has sent this earthquake to Japan because they are all heathen and they need Christ in their lives. And he's striking them down to help build them back up. She didn't mean this. She wasn't a Christian, but everyone believed she was Christian and started attacking her based on that. She deleted the video. She disappeared. She was doing a satire based on something, a viewpoint she hated. And she was completely taken as the real thing. It's a lot. You've seen a lot of that. You've seen a a lot of that with with mega stuff in the past few years where right. you've got people trying to parody that but then it's taken as a real thing and it's like no this was not a real thing i was parodying the way you all right. act and stuff right. and it was like a whole a whole thing and there were a number of creators i think that sort of tried to do that and were mistaken for for their satire right so i think dark dungeons absolutely from almost immediately was starting to be taken that way even though the clearly when you look at the production company the filmmakers everything that is not what it was it is not a christian company they are not trying to save anyone or give this actual lesson so when they they at the same time they were making dark dungeons they also filmed this fake mockumentary about these fictional characters maybe they had an inkling that people wouldn't understand dark dungeons so they had these characters on set doing this fake documentary during certain scenes 
And then, like, they clearly went back, like, later when they had more time, when the actual filming of Dark Dungeons was out of the way, and, like, sat down in a house and recreated some scenes and stuff. Because when you watch the real behind-the-scenes of Dark Dungeons, they are very concerned for their budget and their time. So I find it kind of amazing that they actually took some time to help film this fake documentary, which probably meant to, like, show, not ruin the satire of Dark Dungeons, but show hey, we're not a ministry. We're actually doing this and to show something. And the characters that they show are just real depictions of kind of Christians, like a little further than the truth, but still very much, if you've grown up in a church background, you will know these characters. Unfortunately, like Jessica said, they went for the trope of the husband's actually gay, which, yeah, that's like shown a lot, but it is a trope at this point. And they almost showed that the wife was gay and then they dropped that plot line. And that was, I felt like that was unfortunate because that could have been like inverting the trope, showing something new in this form of yeah, satire. Of it's Christian really life. unfortunate. They totally back out of it. And it's like, no, that would be, that would be great because that's not an angle that's usually shown. It's always on the guy. And right. so it's very unfortunate that they didn't just go with it being her instead. I think that would have been a lot more creative. And right. they it really seemed like they were setting it up, and then they completely drop it. Right. There's a lot of funny jokes in it, though, that happened during the real production of Dark Dungeons. Like, the redhead Christian Karen character, who's supposedly producing... There's, like, layers of Inception fictionalness going on here, because within the reality of attacking the darkness, they're making a totally different movie than Dark Dungeons. You just have to accept that. During the party scene, she's losing her shit because she's like, oh my gosh, this is like a real party. These people are, like, pretending like they're really drunk, but there's no alcohol on set, so she thinks, like, demons are coming into the extras who are just dancing and trying to perform. And then she has everyone do a prayer circle, and you can tell that the extras, who in real life were just extras on Dark Dungeons are like laughing because they're like, what are we doing here? They don't, they might not even know that there's a fake documentary being filmed. And then later when the, uh, the party in real life set off the fire alarms, they go outside and she's like, she's like, do you think those fire alarms detect demons? Which is not the funniest joke, but then she finds an improvisational moment, an improvisational moment where she goes to pray for the people who go to have a smoke break when the production got shut down for a minute to reset the fire alarm. And she goes over and she starts praying for like the real life crew members who were smoking. And you can tell that these guys are like, what the, what the hell's going on? Like they know they're in on the joke, but they didn't know they were going to get pulled into the joke at that point. Uh, there was a lot of funny stuff in that document, in the fake documentary, but yeah, it doesn't add up to a lot. But then there's a little heart in it where there's an assistant pastor who gets sort of like pushed to be the liaison for the church that's backing this movie. And he ends up slowly over the course of the movie having a friendship with and then falling in love with the craft services girl who's not Christian, who's just like a nice person that they just start talking and they're like, they have a meet cute and it's a little heart to the movie. It's like a cute little thing, but it's not worth the whole hour and a half. The last third of attacking the darkness is where it kind of falls apart. Cause they're trying to make bigger points. And I felt like it really just more succeeded when they're just like trying to hold this bad idea of a movie together. Jessica really didn't like Attacking the Darkness by the end. And I felt really bad that we watched it last. And then I was like, she was like so distraught after having watched Attacking the Darkness, even though the middle part of it is really funny, especially after you've seen Dark Dungeons. It just kept going. It just kept going and going. And going, and going. And going in 
disappointing directions that I was like, oh, you're just going obvious. Okay. Oh, you're going to do this. I was calling the things they were going to do before it happened. I'm like, oh, okay, she's going to bang this guy. One of the plot lines that we personally did not appreciate with what we're going through <laughs> is right. that the main couple uh, are having difficulty having conceiving. conceiving. Uh-huh. But of course, because the husband is actually, <laughs> is actually <Yuck>. gay. And <laughs> we get that's it. That's why they have off like it's you know people have actual issues with but then she got it so. but then she got it yeah because she fucks some guy i don't remember what his occupation is on the set He's just like and a it's PA like, on the set but something. i called it like 50 <laughs> minutes before it happened it's like as soon as they introduced the character and him being like oh yeah i love it i want to tap that ass i'm like oh okay he's gonna put, knock her <laughs> well, up well we did laugh happening. at the first time they introduced the character and he's, he's he says he says man she is so like incredibly christian it's really making me almost not want to have sex with her right. like you did laugh at that one joke but the more we saw that character you were getting done with that plot line. yeah there was also a funny joke with the anne hathaway looking character the allison brie anne hathaway character they're like yeah in my interview they made me sign a thing to promise that i'm born again christian and i was just like i need this job so i did it and then you hear the guy off camera go did they not figure out that your name is Jewish? And then I think in real life, the actual actress laughed because it was like a funny improv. And then there's a scene where they're recreating the two main best friends who are sitting on a bed reading the Bible to each other, which is not a scene that happens in Dark Dungeons, but maybe it was a deleted scene. Maybe it's something they set up specifically for the fake documentary. And they're sitting too close, so the redhead church Karen comes in and is like, could you girls just kind of separate just a little bit? Like, I know you don't mean this, but it's just coming off a, a little bit. We don't want anyone to misconstrue. And then she reaches over and grabs the main character's, like, the hem of her of her the top hem of her dress, just pulls it up a little bit over her cleavage. And then it cuts to a testimonial for one of those characters. And they're like, what were you doing in this scene? And the actress says, oh, we were just sitting next to each other reading the Bible. And then you hear the fake director of the documentary go, oh, yeah, I can see how that would be misconstrued. <laughs> it There's was funny, funny. There are funny bits and pieces in it. Absolutely. And you can see, you can see the first, like, half an hour of it on YouTube for It could YouTube really free. get edited down, though. Yeah. It, it could definitely, you could take uh, a knife to that and really, really cut it down and make it funnier. So I'm trying to look through my notes, and I think we covered it all. So uh, I'm definitely interested in checking out more of Zombie Orpheus's entertainment stuff. Yeah, like, for sure. You weren't happy with this fake documentary, but like Dark Dungeons is amazing. Uh, Roger Ebert said in his review for Donnie Darko, he's like, I'm not sure if this is a great... Now, I know you know it's a great movie, but he's like, I don't know if this is a good or great movie. But it is one of the best movies ever to maintain its tone the entire time. Like, he looked at Donnie Darko and he said, I don't know if this is a very good movie, but no other movie has ever perfectly, in a filmmaking sense, maintained tone so pitch perfectly. And I think that the creators of Dark Dungeons created a pitch perfect satire where they only have the slightest winks that you miss the first time you see it. There were winks at the camera that I missed the first time we saw this like four or five years ago. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. It It is great in its tone. It's great in its pacing. It is exactly as long as it needs to be and they get across everything that they need to get across. It's really well done. And mostly I just like I said, I realized in the end that this is a uh, this is basically just a lesbian film. 
that is masked in this idea <laughs> of the kitsch of Christian fundamentalism because it's so clear, like they don't end up happy together in the end, which is like every lesbian film. And if you've never seen a lot Quite of, a few of them, yeah, if you've never seen actual lesbian film made by lesbian storytellers and filmmakers, there's a whole generation of films where they don't end with a happy ending. The couple doesn't end up together. And this is clearly like another version of this story is these girls are supposed to end up together, but something keeps them <laughs> apart and they both go in an opposite direction. And until you had movies like Carol, which has an ambiguously happy ending, and then recently Happiest Season is like, what if we do a rom-com where they actually end up happy in the end? Like now there's... Imagine Me and You was an early one that had a, had a happy ending. Right. Yeah. This is a, this is a coded lesbian drama movie that doesn't end up well for them in the end like the biggest budget one of all blue is the warmest color they don't end up happy in that in the end three hours just about as long as the fake documentary or um the world to come right that's a also, more recent one yeah more recent one unfortunate casey affleck appearance but really great movie uh does not have spoiler warning does not have a happy ending. if you're gonna set you know at this point in the world today we need more lgbtq movies that end happy for the characters like you know absolutely we know through like in mainstream culture the depictions of lgbtq characters are often depicted as they're always killed and they can never get happiness and that happens but then the actual filmmakers take those anxieties the actual sorry the actual storytellers within the lgbtq plus community have taken those same anxieties from media and expressed them in their own stories and now we've gotten to a point where we can start to have happy endings for these same community of, of uh, characters that are created for these stories. But I still understand in 2020 or 2001, uh, 2021, when the world to come was made, if you're going to set a lesbian movie in pioneer times, it's not going to end <laughs> nope. well for those characters. <laughs> nope. I totally understand how that's not going to have a happy ending. Like even Carol set in the what, like 1940s, like it kind of makes sense. They're living in New York. There's a chance for them to be together and exist in a world in a city that's going to have some more acceptance for them. But pioneer times, come on. There's no chance that's going to work out well for them. Yeah, Greenwich Village in the 50s. Why yeah. not? So anyway, I had one other note here. I just want to play a little thought experiment. And this is about oh, RPGs oh, and okay. fear of Christian, Christian fear. And also like just just like mainstream fear of RPGs because a lot of people became satanic panic. People weren't even like born again, evangelical fundamentalist Christians. Like it just became a thing in the zeitgeist for like every American, a lot of Americans, no matter what their religious background. When I think about things like role-playing games and heavy metal music and how like just saying the incantations, like Jack Chick will have you believe that just saying the script within your Dungeons and Dragons book invites the devil into your soul. It's all a veiled thing. Whether you believe in the devil or not, he believes in you. And just reading these pages in the Dungeons and Dragons book is inviting him into your soul. Even though you don't believe it, he's still coming into your soul. But then I ask, like, how does that not work the other way around? How does no one assume that someone who is not christian not born again does not believe those things if there was a christian role-playing game where there's the lord's prayer as part of the script or there's actually or you're a hollywood actor who plays the character of a born-again christian previously mentioned casper van dean from starship troopers is in the omega code 2 he i don't know if that of casper van dean being a born-again christian he might be i just don't know of it 
if Casper Van Dien is not a born-again Christian, and in Omega Code 2, he plays a lapsed Christian who, in the end, when faced with a big CGI... What was his name? Michael York. A big CGI devil Michael York Antichrist. When he's faced with that evil, he falls to his knees and prays, God, I need your help. I believe in you. I believe in Christ, or whatever he says. And then Christ comes and saves him in the apocalypse. If Casper Van Dien prays as a character in front of the cameras for Christ's salvation, do Christians believe that now Casper Van Dien has become Christian just because he play acted as a Christian? No, they say, no, he had to actually believe it. So why to the Christian fear and the satanic panic of the eighties, does the devil have so much more power to take over your soul simply through words than God does? Like, and then Christ does like you actually have to believe the words you're saying to Christ or he won't come into your soul, but you just play around with the devil words by mistake because you think you're playing a board game and you don't actually know it even has any occult connection at all. You don't think it does. And now suddenly the devil's in your soul. I don't understand why are Christians intent on giving the devil more power than God? Cause that's what it comes down to for me. It's a very good question. And that's a fun way to end the episode with that. (laughs) Well, I counter and ask, where do you think Good Samaritan plays into the RPG world? Oh, it took me a minute. Right, there's a Good Samaritan game in The Simpsons. (laughs) So that's a Christian RPG game. Good point. Yeah. Oh, I bet you someone in the real world has made the Good Samaritan board oh, game from absolutely. The Simpsons. Somebody just recently made the fake Waterworld video game from The Simpsons into a full-fledged video game. Someone has to have made the Good Samaritan board game <laughs> that Rod and Todd play in The Simpsons. So anyway, that is Cinema Cataclysm, and that is Dark Dungeon. So Jessica... What do you think of the movie Dark Dungeons? Do you, I don't know if we do this in Cinema Cataclysm. I don't know what we do yet. Yeah, end it out. I, I love it. I think it's great. I, I think that it's it's a, a fun movie, and I would definitely recommend. And like I said, the whole thing's on YouTube in five parts. I would say check out Attacking the Darkness, but you don't need to see the full thing. Just check out the three portions that are free on YouTube, and you'll get the idea. And there's a lot of fun, funny stuff in there. I'll probably post social media clips of some of the funnier stuff from Attacking the Darkness. I wish I'd loved it more. Like, I was really enjoying it up through the second half. So I would say I love Dark Dungeons even more than I ever have. And I had never seen Attacking the Darkness in full. But uh, now I'd say, like, eh, about the same. About the same, a little less. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. And uh, we want to know... Call us up next week for Sadie Hawkins Pod. We want to know about your characters from Dungeons and Dragons games. Call oh, us up yeah. and tell us your character names, their classes, their backgrounds, their stories. We want to know all about that. And if you play any Zoom games and you need another player, uh, hit, hit me up. Mm-hmm.